since we all been back together that's been the band back the band back look at trey together man trey you got a whiteboard in the back yeah i I didn't know you but i think you're an entrepreneur i figure it's a great idea generator for someone else (laughs) the cleaning ladies put fabuloso on it so you can go out to the supermarket and order it keeps us keeps it spotless mr trey can you please order it doesn't clean anything but it smells great yeah i I love fabuloso they make (laughs) trash bags of fabuloso scent impregnated into them i just found out of course they man just anyway that's like i just found that out so anyway on to serious stuff guys i'm gonna make a little push here because i've just found out that we still have summit tickets left and my push is there's a lot of dentists coming solo and as you both know, the knowledge is in power, execution is power. And you can come out there and listen to all these great concepts and hear the hygiene and office manager and all these ideas and sit there like, oh shit, I should have brought my team. So my suggestion, I've said this before, make sure you bring your team. I would actually say, send your team and hang out at the casino at the win and you get more value than if you went alone without your team. Um, so it's August 11th and 12th. It's not too late. Get on there today, bulletproofsummit.com. And then, of course, I'm going to ask you, Trey, to speak to that and you, Dwight, to speak to that with very powerful teams like you both have. What, which, what do you say to that? I took my team. I've taken quite a bit of, of the teams. Last year, I took a nine or 10 of them, I think. It was enormously helpful. Uh, now, this year, they're all anybody that's not going or anybody that is thinking about it has actually asked to be a part of it. Or if we are going, they had a great time doing it, not only from a learning standpoint, but you get to meet a lot of good people and hear a lot of good stuff. The, the hygiene aspect, uh, you know, the year before I brought all hygienists who are now in administrative roles in my practice. So everybody heard a, another aspect of hygiene of, Hey, here's another level. Let's work towards it. It's really empowering for them. It really drove our, our hygiene program forward. So I would I would be I would be looking at anybody you can get in there and and get some value to because they will come home and they are it's almost like a third party endorsement. Yeah. And by the way, the endorsements began that thank you, Trey, is we're gonna acknowledge the the doctors that are brought their team. So, you know, when 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 you get there and you've brought your team, we're gonna actually be acknowledging like this is a massive investment they've made and you thank your doctor. It's huge. And I just think like if I could go back and look at my own career, I was the nucleus of everything. I thought everybody was a dumbass. I was the one that was holding everybody back. And I hear that with when I listen to business people on the phone, I could hear like the way they talk to people and the way they're like literally playing switchboard. I'm like, why are you even getting in the way? Like you as the business owner or leader just needs to set up the vision of where you want to go and then be clear and then let your team fill that space. Dwight, what say you to that? Yeah, I mostly struggle with the fact that people think that somehow you're going to learn that amount of knowledge and take it back. I've done it too. I've gone places, come back, and I'm like, by the way, it needs to be this and this and this. I'm going through my notes. And I'm like, we're going to add this. We're going to do this protocol. And I'm like, and about 80% of that dwindles away in the first two weeks because there's no, there. you're not coming back and actually training and developing your team on that information. The best way to do it is just to have it implemented. And the ROI on a lot of the things that, that we talk about gets learned at 
a summit like this, it's so much information. It's just near impossible for you to just feel like you're going to get any amount to come back. That's not going to double down. If you are going to 10x the practice. Think about if your hygienist is going to 10x her work. What if your assistant's going to 10x? What if your front desk learns new practical ways to interact with each other, develop as a team, your culture development? It is, it is impossible to actually understand the ROI that comes along with that. But so many of us want to carry that on our shoulders. And most of us have a great time. We learn a lot. And then we travel back and we try and start right away Monday morning. And we're kind of tired. And instead of having this hoorah moment about the team, about the team talking about what they learned and the others who didn't get a chance to go or whatever, and they're all kind of pulling all that data together. We're just tired and we're getting back into the flow of things. And I remember going to a lot of CE for many, many years and coming back to my practice and just being like too tired from everything going on. And <laughs> most of that left me, right? Mm -hmm. And we can't be responsible for that. There's already too much going on, right? So it's it was a huge ROI for me and it still is. I always bring people with me. But my goal is is to continue to bring and expose more and more people to it as much as possible. And I think we need to get away from the concept of investing in your people means they might leave you. Like, what's the quote? Is that at the end of the day, you know, you should you should create an environment that what is it? Teach no, them train so them so well. Them. Yeah, train them so well they could leave, but treat them so well treat they never them so do. well that they want to stay, right? And That's I think at the end of the day, we have such fear, right? Such a scarcity mindset of saying, Well, I've got to keep from the idea of, you know, if I overtrain them, then they're going to go somewhere else or they're going to ask me for more money or this, like just invest in your people, just right, invest but then, in your own But business. Dwight, then you're also, you're also the guy that trains people. So there's a lot of people that will come to Fort Bend Dental Group. Like that's, that's the place you go to learn. And then also you said one other thing I want to touch upon, then we'll move on. It's, uh, it's this idea that, you know, you're going to come up with all the ideas and you are going to come back on Monday morning and tell them what to do. If people don't weigh in, they don't buy in. So what the summit is designed this year too is to co-create. So the right. the general content is for everyone. So everybody's in the same room. Hey, what are the big rocks? What's getting in your way? Hygienists are taking their notes, assistants, office managers, doctors, and it's compare notes. And then there's tactical time before you leave. What are you going to do? What's the implementation strategy? So it's not like this bullshit Monday morning. Like I learned this. It's you're never leaving the scene of these decisions without an action plan because let's face it, inspiration is perishable. And we can't just let it go and go out into hopium like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, all right, Peter, you have a slideshow, bud. I, I feel like I'm the J Cal right now. I'm, I'm the Jack Monitor. Well, I take that as a major compliment because well, he, oof, God, the moderator actually has to put in work and do stuff and come prepared. And oh my God, and, scarcity, Pete, guys. I didn't know we got this version of you today. Just because your microphone sucks. And you crashed your laptop it's on the floor. Well, it's on the floor. Crash, you know. I just need a what? dog to kick. And he's, okay. he's I'm a that six, dog. Six white dog. I'm not that, I'm, I don't know. I feel kind of <laughs> so confused. By, <laughs> for those that don't know, Peter's telling me the dog. So go ahead and punch. Okay, Peter, pull your slideshow up. Let's get this dog and pony show up. Okay. Oh, speaking of dog and pony show, I got mentioned on Scott Galloway's podcast. Do you have a that? Were you the dog? No, or the I don't. Pony? I'm confused. <laughs> the dog Obviously and the, the pony. Go ahead. What? It, so Scott mentioned you, and and he was basically just raving about how you're you're kind of the model for consolidation, kind of thing, wasn't that? Yeah, he he's on his uh, Prof G podcast. They were talking about roll ups and consolidation and all that stuff, and he just drops my name. He's like, hey. He actually called me his former dentist, which, you know, that's oh. kind of always nice to hear that. But he did move to London, so maybe there's another person out there. But 
he just said like, you know, if for those that are not really into their business and they're not operators and they don't want to do it, this is a good viable strategy. And he mentioned me in the light of like, you know, who's doing it really right and who's got technology and it's, it's cool when you set your practice up, like the way the three of ours has it where practices are different from each other, but most importantly, they're different from everyone else's. So you can't slip into that sea of sameness. I had a friend of mine that came to the practice today and was like, wow, I feel like I've been in the dark ages, you know, in my dentist before. And I think it's, uh, I don't know where I'm going with it, but I think it's in, you know, incumbent upon the business owner and leader to differentiate your practice in whatever way you wish to do it. Random question. This is going to be a, a marketing side sidebar for you guys. Have you guys converted to Google Analytics for? What is Google? So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I know that. I know that's very. In We're the not even today. I quarter, and he's already. So, <laughs> I, I didn't know we're going here, guys. I'm gonna go get some coffee. No, stick around. You might learn something. Go on. Sometimes you got to be technical in your business, buddy. Sometimes. The Do you know what Google Analytics is, Craig? Yes, I was joking. Yes. Okay. I'm going to hit record, by the way, so we can capture this. We already are recording. The, I'm just joking with just so Google made, made a pivot into something called Google Analytics 4, and they are discontinuing the UA, which is the universal analytics. So look at log into your platform, and you're probably going to get a bunch of star, flashing red lights is saying, like, you need to convert. They are abandoning the old platform. And it's not, hey, we're upgrading you automatically. There is a process to go through. And it's a pain in the butt. Um, and it's been a colossal failure on Google's part. But it unfortunately, it's the hoops we have to jump through. So I just, I wanted to take, I'm going through it right now. I thought it had been done, but it had been done inappropriately. So now I'm having to hire someone else to go back and fix and do and stuff like that. So Something to look at if, so it's these three things you want to look at if you're listening from a technical standpoint. Your Google Analytics, which is going to track everything. Your Tag Manager, Google Tag Manager, which is what your marketing company should be using to, to for your campaigns from tagging standpoint to give attribution to where your marketing is coming from. And then your Google Search Console. Those three things should be talking to each other. Otherwise, you're getting improper data of knowing where your traffic is coming from, from an acquisition source and where you're getting conversions and things like that. So the analytics sits at the top of kind of measuring stuff. Yeah. So I just, I just mainly I was asking you guys to be like, yeah, we did it. It's all good. Blah, 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 Bolden do this, this, and this. But, but, um, but yeah, I just didn't know. That's super intriguing. No, I haven't actually spent a lot of time on that. You have to be the admin of your account. A lot of people are not, unfortunately, in dentistry, just like we've learned in masterminds. A lot of people aren't the people who actually own their domain. The domain is not owned in their account. So you have to be the admin on the account. And if you're not you're not the custodian of that account, then it's it's a time to, to for you to do that. Um, and when you log in as the admin, like I said, they're gonna they they were supposed to abandon it July one, guys. And by the grace of Google gods, they decided because it was such, it's been such a colossal a failure in, in terms of a lot of the industry, they are keeping it alive, but they are, they will abandon. So all the data that you have, if you don't migrate and migrate appropriately, all the data that you've accumulated will be gone. I just so, got back from coffee. So it's analytics four. Is that what I heard? <laughs> Upgrade. No, I'm being serious. What do I need to tell my, my people and the powers at Google gods to do? Just put in the I'm time being serious. transition. Poor Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, listen, we got to hang out the other week. We I flew up to Atlanta for the day. It was great. You know, 
PowerPoint Our, presentation on Google. Did we start AI Corner and now? And yeah, you, you, know, you want to start, you know, tell us more technical talks. <laughs> All right. So last week, we're doing this a little bit out of order. Last week, we did the, um, we did the LOI, right? Or the term sheet form yeah. talking about private equity. And, and the, the spirit of it was to break down some technology, I'm, I'm sorry, terminology and things and, and talk about some of the, the vices that are in some of these offers, why they aren't romantic, why they are romantic, where's the upside, where's the downside, where's the gotchas. That was really the, the I think the spirit of it was just, just to explain to the industry for people who don't see this all day, every day, not that we see it all day, every day, but I think amongst the 80 plus years of experience, we've all probably seen, you know, let's call it 20 term sheets of things like that, that we've had to kind of dig into. So um, it may have been kind of a master's class. And honestly, like, as I kind of reflected back on what we discussed, we kind of really dissected it on a granular level. And there may be some things that you don't understand, and maybe it's not applicable around now. But I think just creating some of the awareness around it is 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 a good exercise. Um, That's great. I, wanna, I love I the content. I remember sitting, guys, I, this is just an interesting sidebar. I remember sitting next to um, one of the OGs in Atlanta practices. You would know him. It's Goldstein, Garber, and Salam. I won't say which one I was sitting next to on the plane. I actually didn't know who it was. And we started talking and, and won't say which. And anyway, this is the time that they had sold to Heartland. And, I, and in conversation, it came up. I was like, why'd you, why'd you sell? And he was like, Pete, honestly, like the practice does X. I forget what he said at the time. Who the hell was, else was going to buy us kind of thing, right? So sometimes where I'm going with this is that information that we went over on that term sheet might be applicable, not today, but it might be applicable down the road because you may, by listening to this podcast, grow and scale your, your practice where you only have a certain number of people that can afford. No single dentist may be able to come in and afford to buy, quote unquote, your practice. So, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes people like brushed off off like Craig is brushing off the Google Analytics. You brush it off because you don't think it's applicable to the world. It's not going to benefit you right now. I wasn't brushing it off. I, I, I was just having. Well, fun. you do that with technology and it's fine. That's, that's no, it's saying. for the listener. It's a joke. It was a joke. It's very, very. I'm not offended, dude. I'm a full grown man. I think it's a huge deal for you to pay attention on these types of things, because if you are a business owner at the end of the day, there is a great number of reasons why you want to continue and remain an entrepreneur, but a true business owner understands that at some, that everything sunrises and everything sunsets in general processes. And at some point in time, it, it goes along with your, your own personal runway and right. you need to know this stuff. And I'll be honest with you. I, I love the vulnerability, Pete. I want to call that out because I think that's a big deal to just be like, Hey, by the way, this is my deal. This is. Yeah. I got study back Dwight from that after post recordings. So I was like, you know, like, was that the right move? And, and I felt called to it at the time, but I, so well, I appreciate why? you saying. Help, help me understand why. <sighs> Because it can go one of two ways, Craig. Someone can think the Dwight method, that's very transparent. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate that. Or it could go in other ways. Like, you know, that's not, it could be. Like you're saying, like, polarizing. it could be perceived as a humble flex. Is that what you're no, saying? Maybe. maybe. I, think, uh, all, I think every single one of the numbers that you're yeah. you getting all sweaty on. Yeah. I, I think every single one of it. Every single one of us on this pod should do that. Numbers a lot as dentists, right? We, you know, we're comfortable discussing new patients to each other. Not just, I'm saying in general, you go to a conference, you're like, oh, I get this many new patients. Oh, we do a top line revenue. But you're not comfortable with like really granular stuff, you know? 
And so I don't know, Craig. I don't know why I have sweaty back. It was just my gut. But I'm happy. I'm happy we did it regardless. So we're not going to. Either way, Pete, you need to understand. I think that the right way to go about this is if we're truly (laughs) doing it in the spirit of learning, we should all be doing this. Every one of us in our practices, we should go and get appraised, go through this whole process and bring it on here and talk about it. Because I think it's the best way to be truly transparent. I thought it was awesome. And you know what? I had some thoughts about it that I wrote on the side that I would either talk on that podcast about, or I'd talk to you about it. And I'm like, oh, I, I really don't like this. And we all had a lot of different thoughts that were, yeah, we did. and right. you know, what's interesting to me is a lot of people do not know much yeah. about what we're talking about. This is probably the number one. They don't know anything about this and they're not hit square between the eyes until it's not just that an offer is made. It's that they are in an, in a difficult situation in life where they have to sell. Or a difficult situation where it comes up and all of a sudden, you know what you're not thinking about at that time? Well, I should learn about this before I should apply it. No. Or you're in a precarious position at closing table when you thought someone was advocating on your behalf. Like, right, Craig has an example of that happening when it is real estate agent, right? You think that people have your six in certain instances. Either that's your doctor has your health and your your health or your real estate agent's got your health and when you're trying to rent out a complex of yours. But like, just goes back to kind of like what I always talk about. You have to not be an expert at everything, but you have to be your own advocate at things that are super important to you, your health, your business, your family, right? Like all these things you just have to advocate hard for and not rely on that, that someone else or else you're going to probably be disappointed. And so if you get to a closing table like this, Dwight, this could be your life's work that you could leave millions of dollars on the table for or Correct. or worse you could be signing up for something that you can't fulfill correct yep and i was approached recently by another group and i said to them i said listen i'm in such build mode right now it doesn't make any rational sense as my ebitda is scaling and doing what it needs to do and they brought up an interesting point they said even our whole methodology is changed and i said well tell me more about it because i found it really interesting was something i was going to share last time but it's we were kind of blown and going, we were hitting the the top of the hour on that. And I found it super intriguing. So they said that post COVID, because nobody wanted to look back and include COVID in their EBITDA components is that now not only will you gain your multiple, whatever your multiple is for your buyout of your existing EBITDA, but they will actually give you as regular capital gains, additional EBITDA growth for the next three years. To kind of that's yeah, that's a normalized run rate. What they're doing with with the multiple, and that is dangerous, white, because guess what? That's performance based, right? So it works to cut both ways. It's looking at you like it's going to be very liberal, and wow, that's nice of you. But they're like, yeah, we'll give it to you in advance, but don't be for certain that we will take it back if if those metrics aren't hit. Correct. There's no risk for them. So that it's not as generous as you think. No, no, no. What I'm saying is, is that is a newer model. Big model COVID. I don't, well, maybe post COVID, but I don't think that's a newer model. I think that that's, that is an attribution model for people who are, are always in growth mode because how do you not build a model for that? Because you've always got one in the dirt, so to speak. Yeah. 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 And and they want that. They like that. I mean, shit, that's what the DECA deal long time ago when it got that 18 multiple that everyone talked about from, you know, Brian Clayton yeah. talks about. Yes. It is that model was built on 18 times earnings because of the fact a lot that of there were so many future earnings. Yeah. yeah Once so those 20 offices yeah. coming out of the ground that there had to be some attribution from a multiple standpoint. Yes. 
So by the way, those guys are crushing it. Crushing it. You know, shout out to Suleiman Ahmed, the CEO of of DECA, and also I think the group president, the ADSO, ADSO group president. Yeah. What a what a badass. Like, you know, I was it's got that great model. It's like that ideal dental model. And there was one right by my house. I mean, right by my office. I was like going to pick up something right by a Starbucks. It was really, really cool. I, he's going to really change the landscape on dentistry. I take, you know, tip my hat to him. He's awesome. Okay. So where I was going, sorry, I went on that little tangent a little bit. Where I was going is that, you know, I am a bit advocate of Twitter. I, my wife always, it used to be like, are you on social media? Now she's like, you're in Twitter. I read Twitter a lot because I, I like to get in the mindset of people's streams and I follow, you can follow intelligent people and really kind of just, it's educational for me and entertaining at the same time. So I found this thread where it was kind of talking about the terminology, right? The language of money. And I thought it was a good primer for when we were going to have the LOI talk. But so we're kind of doing this a little bit in reverse and I'm not sure how these, these pods are going to post. But I think it's a good place to start because, Craig, like you said, we get zero exposure to this. Trey, I think maybe you even said, like, people, a lot of people just know nothing about this. And there is no shame in that. You were not taught to do this. You were No school taught you. No one required it. In the further CE, there was no postgraduate requirements to learn this. It was, hey, go start a business without having any business knowledge. And so that's kind of been like one of the tenets of Bulletproof, obviously, right? So I wanted to go over what I thought the language of money was, the terminology, the things that you see people bob their head to, and you think they don't know what the hell I'm talking about, right? But they're bobbing their head and you can't, and you don't want to insult them by saying, Hey, do you really understand what I'm saying? You know? So I think this would be a good podcast to kind of just really talk about some terminology. Well, it's necessary, Pete, sorry to interrupt you. It's necessary because the narrative of sell, sell, sell is so pervasive. There's this constant force that you're being told you should do this. And without, you're casting a very wide funnel and frankly, they're incentivized to do so. So, hey, sell, but call me first and I'll make a big on your practice. You know, shout out to Brady Frank. Craig, um, question for But you. I do think- Let me ask you a question real yeah. quick, just as, a, as an analogy. Do you think you get, or Trey, either anyone actually, uh, the three of you, do you guys think that you get better medical care because you actually know a thing or two about medicine. Medical Holy care. shit, yes. Well, for okay. sure. Do you think if you didn't have that level, so meaning you get that level of care, the physician hears you talk and immediately has to level up a little bit, right? And says, shit, I better bring my A game for this patient because they actually might catch me. Marketing companies do the same thing. Private equity is going to do the same thing. Have a conversation, be like, this dentist is an idiot, right? Or this dentist actually knows what they're talking about. They're using the terminology, they understand the terms, and they're using it appropriately in the context of this argument, right? So going back to the whole advocate thing, right? Like, I think you get more from the from people in your life by actually, by actually becoming a quasi-expert, knowing a thing or two about a thing or two. Oh, you need to. Right? I mean, business, the business, one of the first business courses I ever went to, I think if you don't know your numbers, you don't own a business flat out. You don't know your business. You don't know your numbers. You don't know your business. Well, you you don't. don't Yeah. You, yeah, exactly. You don't have a business. You're not worthy of being a business owner. You have to know a little bit about it. So bring it up and let's bring some, um, if you wouldn't mind, Craig. Yeah, of course I got it. So this, this gal that I followed and got this thread from, I just want to give, you know, her name is Cody Sanchez. She does a lot of YouTube videos. She does a lot of things where she's basically teaching the business, right? And it's not sexy businesses. It's laundromats. It's things like that. But she's, you know, teaching people how to 
hustle essentially with business, but she's actually teaching in the process. So keep going, keep going forward. Sorry. By the way, I just want to take a pulse. Uh, Dwight and Trey, are you both active and on Twitter or is, uh, on, no, not on. terribly active, but I read more than right. And, and Trey, yeah. Twitter's a thing that's on your phone. Well, look, it's the bird, right? Yeah. And then a bird, the bird. Yeah. The bird. <laughs> Instagram is meant for entertainment, right? Uh, Twitter is more of like this community soapbox, if you will. But it's, it's really an interesting place. It's like a lot of business gets done on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Them. I'm reading a lot of people like they started two years ago, three years ago, and their business is catapulted. It's such an interesting space. I just recently got into it. It's like taking so much of my social media bandwidth. I only spend like nine and a half to 12 hours a day on social media. So it's like, it's hard to carve out, you know, the additional time. On Like, instead of trying to flex on the vacation, you may have like just gone on and taken the quick yeah. picture. It's, it's, or the jet that some of these influencers mm -hmm. rent. Like, it's a meritocracy on, on intelligence because you yes. only, it's, only, it's nothing visual. And it's pithy right? too. You have to make it good or not. I mean, to write a well-crafted, you know, two, three sentences is hard. Anyway, just wanted to take a pulse on that. Twitter's awesome. Really enjoying it. I'm just kind of interested. What about your comparison on threads? <laughs> That's funny. You know, I was actually listening to a pod on that, Dwight. And and I, I think threads is going to succeed. I think it's going to take some business share from, um, from you what know, it's funny. funny. It's like the battle going on between Zuck and, and Elon, you know, and you know, he basically just like cuffed him and took a whole, took, you know, spent a thousand Elon bought a business for 44 billion. Zuck pretty much recreated it for a thousand times less. Right. I mean, it just, it's a pretty binary decision. Do you want your data resold? No, go on Twitter. Right. You do go down meta. I mean, it's simple. Well, some people are dug in, right? Cause Craig, to your point, so many people, it's a new opportunity though. If you want to become an influencer on a new platform, I think it's going to work, but so many people are dug in on Twitter, right? That's how they make their living that they're probably going to stay. So I think really I, I'm going to make a gamble that threads is obsolete. Flash in the plan, pan. Yeah. I think it's a flash in the pan. If you look at the engagement, I mean, Zuck came out, started posting like crazy, then took like a seven day hiatus from it. You know, like you go on, you go on Twitter and Elon's active, whether that's good or bad. I don't know because he's a polarizing <laughs> figure, but he's active. He's posting his memes. Yeah, he's funny as hell, but he did it for a different reason. I don't underestimate if that guy can land rockets, reuse rockets. I think that social media platforms are going to be easy for him to handle. Anyway, um, we'll go on. So the first slide we got is really just getting excited about private equity and get excited about taxes. As we know, Randy, uh, Randy's coming to speak at our at our summit, and you know he spoke to the mastermind about like the biggest expense in your life, and everyone's like, "What do you? What is that?" And he's like, it's taxes, taxes. Get no one got it. that right, by the way. Everybody's like, education, electric, mortgage. He's like, no, shitheads, taxes. No, it's taxes. Learn about taxes. And he's like, here's some good books, right? So like, get excited about equity, get excited about taxes. Not excited. Maybe excited is not the wrong word. Learn about the metrics in your business and then just financing. Like these are the bears essentials. Go put them in practice. That's the key to learning business. Like it's just a bunch of steps. So the thing that everyone talks about in dentistry, EBITDA, okay? Does anyone want to take a stab at what this really means if we can break it down. So obviously the acronym is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Dwight, what would you, if you had to describe this and what would you say, like if, if you're educating your mom on this, what yeah. would you say? <clears throat> to me, EBITDA is the, 
Well, I'm trying to make a dental comparison to. All like, right, let me so let me ask you this: How does yeah. it different from net revenue? Net profit, well, you mean? Sorry, net profit, Craig. Thank you. Okay. The, I like to say that EBITDA will take a a complete picture of your business, top to bottom. Um, it's like when people will differentiate things between uh, unadjusted production to collections, but then you got to take into account your expenses, and yep. then clean just keeps going all the way down. Why and is it pervasive? I guess you hear it. You know, you hear it in dentistry thrown around a lot. You hear people chirping, and like, "What's the EBITDA? What's the EBITDA?" Right? Like we throw that around. Right. Why do you think it's that's so pervasive in the private equity world? Because that's the way it is in every other industry. Okay. I think sometimes we get stuck with the idea that, you know, I mean, I hear this stuff all the time. Well, my practice is worth, you know, 85% of its blah, 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 blah. And it's, you know, and it's not hitting a profit, right? Like it's, I hear so much of this. Well, I can get appraised for this amount or you get this card in the mail. And the truth is, is they will promise you anything. But when it actually gets down to the nitty gritty, this is the final number that they're actually going to reflect off of. Right. And it's because it's the reality of it. Many of us know a lot of businesses out there, like even in the SaaS world, right? Even software and all these other things, they're incredibly profitable once they've developed something, right? But at the very beginning, they're a net negative. Right. It's the worst EBITDA on the face of the planet. It's not until it flips over and they want to catch it at a particular vulnerable point, like a SaaS model. You want to catch it when that EBITDA is super low because they know where it's going. Once it stops, starts to be profitable and, and a positive, then you know where this thing's going. And so the reality is every this is the industry standard across all industries. This is kind of the point. Okay. So you're able to say it to any person who knows anything about finances and say, yeah, that's how it is. Cause nobody's going to look at you and say, but at my practice, my patients love me more or my, you know, it's all that, all that emotional stuff gets thrown out. And this is what your business actually is. This is, this is the operating cost of your business. The operating cost of your business. Well, so gross no, minus EBITDA is your cost. Can I, when you look at EBITDA, EBITDA is taking out all the below the line costs. Sure. If you go in and, and normalize debt service, you normalize things along those lines. This is how much it costs to run your business. You know, the, it's the, what's left over after you subtract, subtract the operating costs. There you go. The, all right. So the, if you uh, take your past debts aside, right? Sure. You and your all mm -hmm. the owner benefits you get: healthcare, four hundred one k, etc. It's an evaluation of the real cash flow of a business. So a private equity looks at this and is like, what's the benefit? If we buy this business for cash, what is the amount of dollars that's going to land in our, if we remove all the benefits from the owner and all the taxes that they had to pay and all the bullshit that doesn't apply to us, what's going to land on our side? And so here's the interesting part is that they're going to run something called a quality of earnings, right? So this Dramatically is- Dramatically known as a Q of E. The QV. It just sends a chill down my spine. Yes. So and by the way, Pete, just sort of cut you. There's something rattling on your desk, and me and you know when you're moving your arms or something. Oh, like sorry. A tick -a -tick -a sorry, I thought it was something typing. Okay. So yeah, the QV. You want to. So the quality of earnings is interesting in that Dwight, like you're going back to your your multiple thing. They may say, Hey, Dwight, we'll give you a 13 times, and you're like, That's fucking awesome. No one's offered me that before. I want to do that. Like, what do you think your EBIT is around? I think it's around one and a half. No problem. Awesome. Let's roll with this. You get now you get engaged for three months and you go through something called a Q of E. In the meantime of these three months, you are already 
romantically thinking about how you're going to spend this windfall of money, right? We already described the term sheet on what you're actually going to land in your account. But guess what? They're going to run what's called their Q of E. And so the one five that you think you had from your, maybe you're being represented by your end or your broker, they're going to come back and be like, Hey, Dwight, we're going to, you know what? We're going to keep that 13 because we like you. We really want to, we really want to align with you and strategize with you, you know, and and affiliate with you, all the fancy words that, that mean we want to acquire you. (laughs) Um, But guess what? Your EBITDA came back at like 1.1 on during our quality, you know, our Q of E. And that was done by an independent firm. We have no control over that. But, you know, obviously that's going to affect the numbers now. Yep. So you see how this becomes a mind, mind F? For well, people? they'll even go up to the fact that they'll be like, you know what? We know this is a big blow to you. We're going to give you a 14 times multiple, but right. it's still 1.1. <laughs> well, they, they, they typically, well, you know, in my just experience. Saying, whatever it takes to make the defector emotion set back, their goal is like with everything else. If you're buying a car, their goal is to keep you out of the logic realm and keep you in the emotional 100%. realm. In the emotional, right? Keep that's, you a good point. that's a good point. 100%. So I think that's that's really, when we talk about EBITDA and we throw this around flippantly, right? Just the listener just needs to know, like that's the, that's the real cash flow of the business, the real cash flow of the business. No owner benefit, no sneak cars in here, no 401k and stuff that you're putting aside, no paying your wife on salary, none of that. That's all, that's all, this all goes to the bottom line. And so typically your EBITDA is higher, well, almost always than your net revenue, net profit, I should sure. say right? Then what your P&L is going to say. You don't figure out your EBITDA by taking 12 months of your P&L and adding it together. That is not an EBITDA. No. And that's what many people think it is, right? It's just my profit of my business. No. Okay. So I think we've exhausted this. Yeah. Another another thing just to add to that is like your coffee machine, that's $500 a month, you know, or $6,000 a year and at a 10 or let's call it an eight, mm-hmm. that coffee machine, when you sell your business is worth $50,000. Right. Exactly. <laughs> because like, it's only $500 a month, well, $6,000 a year times eight. What he's talking about is like the example of, of lunch, right? Yeah, oh yeah. And I was like, you're like, well, you know, it's costing me $75,000 a year. I was like, well, no, potentially that is a million dollar uh, depreciation. Expense, yeah. depreciation. You're getting a haircut by a million dollars on enterprise value on the multiple that you probably could get. It, you're like, holy shit. Yeah, that's crazy. Right. Multiple times over, it's not just that. What mm-hmm. I hear often, I'll get a phone call of a doctor who's selling and they're having this conversation and they're like, but you know, my wife is an office manager at one of our locations, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you know, of course they have all these rules and this and that. They're like, but I pay her like a hundred grand, you know, and this and that. I was like, you do know she's going to go to zero right? Like you do know that anything that comes to your pocket is going to go to zero. hundred percent. And they're like, they're like, but you know, she should be paid for blah, blah. I'm like, listen, all you need to understand is that hundred thousand dollar a year job that you're trying to give your wife is worth like $1.8 million at the end of this deal at an eight X multiple. If you don't walk away from it right now, but that's, that's the gameplay that he's talking. So Dwight, here's an interesting thing about that though. If you know that your wife really doesn't do anything, right? And you can prove that she really doesn't do anything for the practice, then that can be an add back to you, right? That can go, the Q of E can actually, sure. you can. Absolutely. You can, yeah. Okay. Unless, if, unless if you hear all these emotional doctors who are like, but I really want my wife to have a job and go on from this. Oh, or yeah. 
Yeah, she's the worst the, one of all. The fired. highest and worst one of all. She's the first fire, by the way. Yes. And overall, the worst one of all is us. We say, well, we'll sell, but we want an annual salary of blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, the, the point is, is if you're not putting it up in the deal, you're missing out on the long run. But yeah. most people need to have that dollar paycheck per month. Coming Dwight, out you're saying the doctors say, I need to make this amount of money post yeah, 200 grand a year. It'll come right. out of your even required salary. And you know what they will say to that? I would not. I would no know. problem. No problem. That's right. Absolutely. They're you know, going to tell you. you Absolutely. We'll just put that right out of there. No problem. Of course they yeah. will. It's like so the car dealer analogy. Like I, I still that this number is negotiable because much of your much of the line items in your practice are discretionary and you can make cases that some are and are necessary and some are not and are not necessary so it is not a black and white figure you're you're both pushing one side pushing to increase it and the other pushing to decrease 100% so Trey thank you for that that's amazing so on your side you're going to want to have a QV which maybe not your broker if you had a broker and they're going to have a QV and Trey, you're right. It is a justification on your side to justify it as high as possible. And on their side, it's to justify it as low as possible. So it is a dance. It is a game and you're absolutely right. But this is, this is, this isn't a couple calls on the telephone. This is a three month enema. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So unfortunately D whistle has got to drop out. No. Sorry guys. I've held them. He's had enough. I can. We got so to keep going. Keep going, though. Maybe I'll All leave right, it. Well, I'll listen I can to run that. back in here. All right, Dwight, one more. Ready? Go. Due diligence. We all know what due diligence is. It's just basically the, the shit you have to do in order to make an investment or research before buying and investing an asset. For example, I'm doing due diligence. I'm under contract for a piece of land. I'm doing due diligence on the land, soil testing, surveys, regulations, easements. That's all of the diligence of a property. Can you guys give me some examples of an merger and acquisition standpoint? What would be some things that you would recommend as a diligence if you were acquiring a practice? What would be some things? Just off the top, let's snowball. Leans. Chart audits. Mm -hmm. right? would, that be, would that be due diligence, chart audits? Yeah, of course. Okay. Dwight, this is, this is- Verification of patient numbers. There actual patient numbers, actual procedures completed, procedures by provider. Tax returns. Um, Tax returns for sure. Details that relate to the actual clinical process. Meaning if I lose this doctor is the 80% of the production based on the one head and the set of hands of one individual, everything that would delineate liability risk in purchasing an asset is the way I see a due diligence list. So whether it's liens or whether it's the, the, the office manager who literally runs everything is married to the doctor who's also selling and it all is going to go in one heap pile of out, then that's a high liability practice. And I need to be prepared to be able to replace the whole team. Worse. What else? Yeah. What Time, else? Timeline of transition. Doctor is fed up and he wants out in 30 days. That's like catching a falling knife. Correct. Yep. Okay. Turnover risk, right? Staff salaries. Staff salaries for Staff sure. Hygiene salaries is the biggie. Um, philosophical I, alignment by the way so like if he's been watching right. bleeding gums and no perio it's gonna right. be hard clinical alignment that's exactly right. right yeah my clinical team calls that clinical life supervised neglect negligence because we know that we go in there and we implement our perio program and we're going to lose a portion of that patient patient goodwill right why are you probing me dr jones yeah. has never done yeah. that before yeah, what's trying that? to sell me yeah he's been fine with that 
so guys, I'm asking these, does anyone have any more before I just go? And then Dwight, I know you got to go, but basically I'm including this because I think this is important going back to the whole private equity thing we're talking about. They're going to do exhaustive due diligence, A, to, as part of the Q of E, but B, it's looking for opportunities where they have economies of scale, right? Oh shit, these hygienists are highly underperforming. This practice is only doing 15% hygiene. We know we can get it to 35% right? They may run their utilization stuff like Dwight does and say, God, these operatories, we know we can bring this in. If we sign up with X, Y, and Z plan, we can augment this. So they're looking at buying an underperforming asset through their due diligence and buying it and then applying their arbitrage and their leverage, which we're going to get to on the next subsequent slides. Uh, would you guys agree that's probably one of the reasons? I mean, yes, they're checking their box from, from a from a protocol standpoint of like, yeah, we need to make sure we have these things, but it's really a dive to see where's the juice for them. Agreed. And you should be doing the same. When I say them, if you're a doctor who's listening to this and you are in the business of want to grow and scale, the fastest way to scale your operation is, is acquiring. Startups are not the fastest way. Correct. Right. So, so get good at due diligence, get good at kind of looking in under the hood. And that's why the first slide is like, love it, fall in love with this process. Because honestly, the better you become at this, you can actually audit your own practice that you're in, even if you're just going to stay. I was about location. to say, someone asked me after this conversation, I was saying that we had our last podcast discussing kind of a deal, just like what we did. And it happened to be yours. And they said, you know, how did y'all learn so much of that? And I said, my biggest key learning was acquisitions. I was evaluating and then realizing and acquiring a practice and then realizing I totally missed that. You blew it. I blew this and I screw that. Because of that, that's why I've gotten good at this. Now, I'm not saying that everybody needs to, and there's you know different ways to do it, but that has been my biggest learning tool to be able to kind of get through it. And honestly, a lot of individuals on the mastermind, they're also acquiring practices or acquiring their first practice or going through those things. And when we've done that, I've learned a ton watching them and realizing the abusers that are out there and how you know a lot of those brokers really play games even on your side, not just on their side, on getting you the wrong you know, hiding like certain when you buy a used car. Typically, we all sell our cars when we really don't. Wow, ah, this thing's breaking. I don't really want yeah. it anymore. Ah, let's get rid of this car. Yeah. Right. The job of the buyer is to find out, like, why is that front suspension squeaking? Right. right. Why? Why mm -hmm. do I hear a valve clicking? Right. That's why kind of somebody the selling the car. Why? Why, why, why is somebody selling, selling the car? Yeah. Exactly. Why are you selling, selling this car? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm moving to. I'm moving to Europe. Great. Love you, buddy. Thanks for. Thanks for all that. Thanks, Dwight. Hey, Dwight. Miss y'all. We'll see y'all soon. The next two are kind of easy. Just cash flow. We talked about this, Craig, and I think you mentioned it a fair amount in the EBITDA. So the, there's cash flow that money coming in minus the money going out. And that should always be a positive number. And that's represented on your P&L. The cash flow statement tracks cash flow over time. So you know where every dollar is going. And you also can identify trends with this up or down. Um, these are delivered from your CPA, and I would recommend that you are getting them no later as a, as a lag indication than two weeks after the month has closed. If your CPA is delivering you data longer than that, it's academic. There's really nothing to do, right? You know, you guys know what I'm saying by that? Okay, cool. Of course. And you need uh, to push to get it as soon as possible. As soon as possible, right? Because otherwise, like what? Mm. There's no more levers. The levers get, the more time goes out from the data you get, the smaller the little levers get because they don't really do much anymore because it's data that happened in the past, right? So that's a lag indication. Anything more to add on this, guys? I mean, he's, this yeah, is Yeah, I just cool. like, you know, that idea that cash is not king, cash flow is king because cash Amen. left, 
cash left alone has no potential. Wait, you're it's, saying that cash flow is king, not cash. Yes, is king. cash is not king. Cash flow is king. So this idea when they tell you to sell, well, you have cash, and cash is king, and taking chips off the table, and you know, shout out to Brady Frank again, like call me, you know. But cash left alone has no cash is like pot potential. Yeah. It has no it has no use until it's deployed. So as soon as you have your cash and you screenshot it, you text it to your friends, you have the obligation to deploy it because you realize you can't eat cash. cash. A, you have to cash, cash is a flow. golden cash is a golden egg. Cash flow is the goose, the goose. that made the yeah. golden egg. Perfect. Given I think it's important given, to say because I think we get very hung up on talking about a melting ice cube, but cash is important because you have to have it to deploy it. So you have to have liquidity as part of a as part of a balance, personal balance sheet to be able to do the next deal that pops up in terms of real estate practice, whatever you're doing that you want to invest that yeah, cash. Some dry in. powder, dry powder. You know yeah, that should be another. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's something that you always want to keep in mind: that accessibility to cash or your liquidity is important. So Trey, different than an emergency mm. fund? Yes. If you're if you're labeling it as an emergency fund, as you always see in you know the 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 circles of wealth building, so to speak, an emergency right. fund is in fact an emergency fund. Got Stick it. it there and leave it alone. But if it's accessible, it doesn't have to be in a bank account. Okay. But you know who you talk to depending on depending on who you talk to an emergency fund has all sorts of pieces to it and as long as it's accessible and very accessible so go back to your melting ice cube what were you going to say i do keep cash so i keep cash in order to deploy it but i only keep a, a period of i mean I, I keep cash so i have it that i can give it go hey here's a deal that popped up today here it is today yeah but, you but i want to be able to get minimum things that i can get to within a day or two that allow me to move very quickly as well that's liquidity and that could be equity Craig, talk about your strategy i think it's good so trade like like you're saying you got a meaning you got a day or two to get your hands on some money it doesn't mean the physical dollar but liquidity is important so craig so i'm guessing trey you're putting yours in a floating money market where you're i mean trey you're earning some uh, yield so yeah craig i think you're pretty good at kind of flushing things back and forth between maximizing your yield with with your with your operating capital well, it's just about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I had to cut in broad brushstrokes, I'd say like, whole, like looking back over the last 15 years, I was not prudent. I kept more cash than I should because I have like, I guess, a psychological need to have it. And, and the proverbial rainy day never came and the opportunity also never came. So mm -hmm. I was like, I want to keep this around because there might be something that I need real quick. And I think it's better to have, you know, for those purposes, maybe a line of credit and had deployed my cash. Because I've looked, you know, now that I'm, you know, the ripe old age of 52, I see the law of compounding interest and how it's dramatically affected my life and deploying the amount of cash that I had above and beyond what I needed as the psychological buffer for me would have changed the game for me. So I carry more than I should. I'm like the land sale. I sold that other piece of land because I'm like, oh, you know, we're going to go in a recession. I should hold on to this. And it's sat, you know, albeit now the interest rates in the money markets are four and a half to five. That's great. But still that's not keeping up with inflation. So I, I've had a psychological need that has not benefited me, I think. Well, I should introduce you guys at this point then to a digital stable coin called Bitcoin. It's It stays right at $30,000 and that's just where it sits. Is that yeah. is that like Luna? No, fuck, Trey, that two cents. Still two cents, two cents. Yeah, he's very sensitive. <laughs> Don't do that to him. I only like to talk about my crypto wins, if you haven't noticed, not my losses. And that was a huge... 
Holy That's shit. Yeah. All right. So let's move on from this. Oh, sorry. I thought I'm advancing you. You, you can do it. You can. We've got sorry. we've got two more, and then that's it. just if you're listening, hang in there. Hang hey, if you're listening and any of this has been valuable, so can someone comment? Anyone to say good job, thumbs up, comment right now, subscribe or comment, give us a like. So this sorry. one's gonna be a little bit a little bit longer, just just to give you guys a help. But leverage is is I think super, super important to understand it because I think it's the true way that you can generate wealth. Actually, I think it's the only way you can really generate wealth. Agreed? Not agree? Agreed. 100% agree. Absolutely. Okay. 100% So leverage, when someone uses the word leverage, all they're saying is debt. They're just taking a debt instrument. It's your bank. Your bank is going to give you leverage. Your bank or maybe, maybe someone else or mezzanine loan or private investors, but it's someone else's money that you're going into debt for. Um, okay. So, and, you know, and, and that's the whole thing of debt, like being good and not good, Greg, like there's certain types of debt that are, that are good and certain that are bad, obviously credit card bill, bad, right? Well, I think borrowing on a depreciating asset is. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. I think that's full stop, right? I think you could, I think we can dumb it down to, yeah. to that. That's the compounding the wrong way. You owe more money and the asset is worth less. So you have double compounding interest the wrong way. So compounding interest works wonderfully like debt. It can work to your advantage or it can fucking destroy yeah, you. Yeah, I think that's a great thing. And I think, you know, Greg, you asked me why I buy like my cars and boats and stuff with cash. Sometimes you're like, because I think I've ascribed to exactly what you're saying. The only debt I have is on a quote unquote appreciating assets. That's it. And I become very disciplined in the fact that if it's depreciating, which we all know boats and cars and shit like that is, that it should be, if I can't buy it, then I can't afford it. That's just the way I was raised kind of thing. Not saying that should be everyone's thing, but I think that's a healthy mentality, personally. I don't. I agree. You no, I don't think that's a healthy mentality. Okay, because why? I think that, that is a legitimate reason. That is something that you can say your level. But there are many times when you have to finance depreciating assets, even when you have appreciating assets, because your actual liquidity is not available for whatever why? reason. Give me an example. Give me an example. So let's say I keep X amount, I have X amount of dollars of liquidity and we're going to, we're going to say that I'm want to buy practice, which I can finance for a hundred percent. That's appreciating and a, a real estate deal that I can, I have to invest and put my 20%, 25% down in. That's I take it. my liquidity, which is all I have. And I put it into my real estate. Now I need to buy a car, a depreciating asset. I have to finance the car at that time. You don't have, I've okay, Trey, that. Trey, fine. I hear you on that. Do you have to drive an Audi A7? No, but that's not what you said. That's different. Okay, you're right. So the so, idea there is you can't blanket statement that you should never finance a depreciating sure. asset. There are times you, you should. dollars left over to buy a car. So Suck if you had five grand, would you, then after buying those things, your legitimacy of that would be buy the used uh, Corolla that you found on the green sheet for three grand? 100%. I totally disagree. I, I, I agree with Pete on this one. Uh, as a person who, like my first year of dental school, I made $85,000. What did I do? I went out and bought like an $85,000 Mercedes. So had I not done that, it felt well, but great. Y'all are playing in extremes though. No, I mean, that's, that's those really examples are playing in extremes. No, we're not. I think reflecting on the pain that we had in the past, knowing we messed up in certain areas. I did the same kind of thing. And I've also then like learned from that mistake and never did it again. And I think it was wise. So Trey, like, I, I always advise dental students like you want to get out and be like, oh, I'm a dentist now. I need to have a dentist car. I'm like, hey, you're just try to live like a student for a couple more years. Keep driving, keep driving the 10-year-old beater. It's no one's gonna care, right? Like 
don't go, don't go blowing your cash because you think that society expects you to have that. No, I agree. But that's, that's a different topic. It's not though. It's not, you're telling me you can't, you're going to buy investments in business and stuff and you can't afford a $5,000 car for cash. No. You're not going to drive a five thousand dollar car. Well, that's because that's you on just you. created that's, an asset that creates cash flow. Well, then, that's that's start to that's so what I'm saying is, you're giving a very extreme example that I don't think is is necessarily I extreme. I don't think it's extreme at all. As a matter of fact, I think it's very simple. Meaning, like you are not ready to buy that. I think and, it's from it's from comes from a standpoint of a very where you are. It makes sense because you're a far cry from where dude, I did dental this. student I is. I did this so I can say like. We're getting too tangential. Well, yeah, I did the yeah. same thing. Yeah. I was the douchebag that bought the Mercedes when I couldn't afford it. Had I, the only thing that's created real prosperity and security for me is living within my means. I didn't do that. And I was stressed out and beholden to everything. People, people lose their freedom because of money. And I want everybody to be free, whatever that means. And that means, you know, if you're making 2 million a year and you're a rock star, but you're spending 2.2, you're broke. And I think it's really important because when you borrow for those depreciating assets or you have double-digit credit card debt or five-figure credit card debt, you're in a hole that can't be surmounted. And that's real for many people. And I'm not the damn Dave Ramsey guy that's like, right. no debt, no debt. Like We have to make the nuanced decision between good and bad debt. And leverage is wonderful when you use it to your advantage, but it can unwind you very quickly. And the way to get unwound is borrow on things that are worth less every day that you borrowed on them. It's a very, you know, I don't understand why you're seeing it differently, Trey. Help me understand. Because I, that's a single example that doesn't always go into, it doesn't unwind you. If you do it as an excess and you, like you say, you're the douchebag that buys the 85 grand Mercedes that you- Well, I am that, I am nothing. that. Yeah, that's true. I agree with those things. But it is not a good blanket statement to say across the board because there are plenty of examples like the one I gave that is not appropriate. You're not going to go buy the Corolla. That You're not going to do that. And although, yes, you may have, but you didn't need to. It was not necessarily the financial so that's good one thing example. you do. What's an, give, me, give me another example where you think this is not- this oh, is I gave you, So I gave you one. And it goes back to the same issue of, I gave you one, you don't like it, you want another one. No, 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 no. You gave me one and we refuted it saying like, that's on them. If, if they ego can't, if their ego can't drive a $5,000. So my my deal there would be you're buying an appreciating asset that then can afford the next depreciating asset. You uh, do things in order to do things and then you can pay them off I'm later. Gonna, I'm going to call, I'm going to pull the Jake out. We'll take this offline. Next slide. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I wasn't. Uh, so I think it's important. To <laughs> it's <like the> <laughs> Hold on. I just want to make sure that, that, that I'll be pithy with this. Sorry. That leverage happens, not just capital, right? Naval talks about this a lot. You know, he talks about this in four things, people, capital, code, right? Software platforms, and then your audience. Yes. Great. Um, and so great we won't example. go into all those, but like there's, there's lots of leverage in your business beyond just the debt. Okay. So that was enough on that. I, I won't, I feel like you guys are going to start, start snoozing. Do we have an, an, and there we go. Okay, so balance sheet, we'll go quickly through these. Balance sheet is important. You're getting this from your P&L. Essentially, what it shows is your assets of what you own and your liabilities of what you owe. It's the business medical chart. The business is dental chart of what it is. People always say like, hey, let me see your balance sheet and P&L. Not P, letter P, N, letter N, L, P, and L. Um, so Anyway, balance sheet is important. Do you guys have anything to add on uh, balance sheet? It's it's there's there's kind of there's several types of balance sheets, but essentially 
one you're going to get the most is like it's called a comparative balance sheet where it's going to indicate a trend over time comparing different times in the business there's vertical balance sheets horizontal balance sheets but essentially the comparative is probably the one that everyone's going to see but essentially just remember it's what you assets you have versus liabilities you owe okay Craig, keep, since you are the thing, keep going. Yeah. Oh, so look at you. You still, you give it to me and still do it. Okay. Can't help it. Profit. Of course, profit, we all know it is. Gross profit equals your revenue minus the cost to deliver the product. Pretty simple there. We all get the profit by our, by our PN, on our PL at the end from our CPA. And we all get the, we all open our emails from our CPA and immediately where does our eyeballs go? Bottom line. Bottom one, line. one thing I want to add to that, Peter, it's not just cost of product. It's cost of the, because we're in dentistry, it's the cost to the doctor to deliver the service. Well, so if you feel really. So Craig, what that means is cost to deliver, cost of the product, meaning the delivery of the product, the service of the product, all, sure. the, all the intangibles that got to that product. And so what I was trying to point out is that the solo doctor who says, yeah, my overhead is 35%, my profit yeah, is yeah, 70. Yeah, yeah. What do you pay yourself? Well, I make 70%. I know, but would a dentist like you need to be paid? I don't know, 35%. Okay, put that in because then you'll see your entrepreneurial profit, not just your real profit. What is the profit you generate for the work that you do the business? So that's everything. It's entrepreneurial profit. It's above and beyond what your doctors get paid. For sure. PL, of course, we know it stands for profit and loss. It's the report card for your business. It's usually given to you by your CPA, and it is the lag indication of, like we were just talking about, the timeline of when you're going to get it. So it indicates what happened in the preceding month or quarter or all the months behind you, right? And so it is good to kind of review those and have them mapped over time to see where you are trending. Um, anything else with PL, guys? Straight as an interesting thing, just shits and giggles. Which timeframes do you both track? on your pnls monthly and yearly year to date or trailing 12. yeah yeah sorry yeah the, that month and then year to date yes i do not look at, i do a trailing 12 month ebitda but i do not do it on a on a profit and loss does that does that make sense yeah Trail. yeah you bet you bet i do trailing 12 month ebitda and i do year to date and this month versus last year so oh, like interesting. year to date versus last year, year. year. i always want to i always want to look at your comparison yeah i always do that that's good. Everything for, for me, like eat for everything has no context unless it's year over year, which Very is interesting. Good. Very good. That's legitimate. All right. Last one, guys. So this is probably the, the favorite one. And we talk about this a lot on the podcast and it's called arbitrage. And so essentially, does anyone want to take a stab at kind of what arbitrage is at a, at a definition layer? I don't want to take that stab. Dre. <laughs> I'll take a stab. Arbitrage is the difference between the, let's call it percent that can be, you know, I'll use an example as the best way where I can case out because I'm not going to get it right defining it. Yeah. A practice by itself owned by a single individual is worth 3x. A practice owned by someone in Pete's example, for example, is a 10x. The 7x difference in between those two is Pete's arbitrage on that deal. He makes that money by just owning that practice as it is, whereas the single buyer does not. Hunter, very well done. I think the arbitrage is taking the same asset and having it be worth something different in a different environment, right? So just like you said, Dre, in, this, in the solar practitioner, 
has that has a that has a you know it's called a million dollar practice. It's worth three times earnings typically, which equals about eighty five percent in a well done practice. Which is why we see the valuations there. In in my ecosystem, if it was bolted on or inquired, potentially you could buy it for three, and then day two, of it being in in our ecosystem, it could be a 10x, like you're saying. So those revenues could be inherently worth seven times more, right? They, seven times more turns, meaning it bought for three and it's worth 10. The delta in there is 7x of that EBITDA. And that can happen pretty quickly, which is why this consolidation has gone on. You know, we see the we see the, the Instagram ads, right? And the time is running out. You know, it's 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 fast and furious because there is massive arbitrage for people who have bigger, more efficient vehicles. Okay, so that's another example. I mean, that's Trey. I think that's that's perfect example. You know, I don't want to go into other examples. I think it's a perfect example of in, in in dentistry when we talk when you hear the word arbitrage, that is really what it's going. It's roll ups and arbitrage yeah. is what I typically hear those two the justification words of the roll up. Do what? It's the justification of a roll up. A roll up exactly. exists to because but of also, the also remember how we were talking about in the due diligence strength. And so some of the arbitrage comes from actually looking at the practice from a diligence perspective, right? The research of saying, oh, shit, Doc here only has, you know, you know, way, you know, hasn't done a crown in in three years. And, you know, that's 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 an arbitrage situation or the hygiene is underperforming or the docs are underperforming, whatever it is. There's arbitrage in that, too, just isolated, not in the arbitrage of private equity, but just isolated in someone who's a better business operator. So there's still arbitrage for you, the person listening to acquire practices even though you're not a giant private equity. That's it. That's yep. it, dudes. That's Easy it. Concept. Like it. Is that go. fun? Everybody is now educated and ready to go. Or asleep. One of the two. Well done. Let's go buy some, <laughs> let's go buy some practices. Let's see you at the summit is really what we meant to say. There you go. Hey, there you and go. one more thing. If you got any value from this whatsoever, please drop a comment below. We read all the comments. I read all the comments. Peter's faster than I am, but... We read all the comments. And just so you know, Trey, we actually put this on YouTube so you can comment. YouTube's uh, like almost like your TV screen, but on a computer. Yeah, yeah. It... <laughs> no, not to I, be confused. It's, with... comment. I, it's harder for me to make the bird comment. Not to be confused with you porn where Trey spends most of No, no, I'm very familiar. Time. I'm very familiar. Yes. Well, that's different. Yes. <laughs> I spend eight to 12 hours like you on Twitter, but on, on Dallas. Oh, that's good stuff. No, that's hey. me. Trey spends it on Instagram. Oh, Instagram. Yeah. No, yeah. but Twi- I'm loving Twitter, guys. Wow. So cool. Get on Have Twitter. you just gotten into it? Uh, is not, yeah, is just not recently. Yeah, because, you know, I didn't want to have another social media spot to check. But my wife always says to me, she's like, you're really not that smart. You just read a bunch of shit on Twitter. That's why everyone thinks you're smart. I'm like, thanks. Yeah, you. I agree with your wife, by the way, because a comment <laughs> you put on Michael Moreno. <laughs> yeah. So so you follow Strip Mall Guy, right? And Strip Mall Guy posts something yesterday and says it's not about option you know the worst thing you can do is option you got to be careful of your options because your options are tenant friendly and they're not good for you they lock your flexibility in so pete posts that on michael moreno's post and like gets a whole bunch of likes but just good at a, i'm the he's same a I'll, he's a curator. Yeah, i'm a curator too if you steal no, from exactly. one it's played i've always said that like dude we went in a mastermind remember we we're talking about options and people were showing us their leases i was like options are designed for i know your, i'm just you. messing with you i know i know but like all knowledge is borrowed yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's repurposed, repackaged, exposed, and you're like, oh shit, yeah, I need to do that. 
kind of thing. Just like the summit, right? We go, we go and you get exposed to all these new techniques and tactics and you have these conversations and you come home just busting at the seams of shit you want to you implement. And like, yeah. that's, that's what gets you fired up in the morning, man. Yeah. All right. I agree. That was fun, guys. Get it, do nothing for more. 12 months and go back to the summit next year. What? Yeah. Then you forget it, do nothing for 12 months. You go back to the summit next year. You know what? You know, you're, you're probably right. The masses probably do do that. But we have, you know, you've actually know a lot of them, Trey. I mean, we've had some. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just, no, I'm just, I'm just rubber to the road. Fucking with you on it. But no, I know, I know. it's true. And that's impressive. When you have an implementer of that caliber, it is so cool to watch. Hey, Peter, just a little validation for you before we hang up. As we're talking, because, you know, the AI corner and I'm like, you think I'm like giving you shit. Immediately, I text my marketing person. Hey, I think we need to upgrade to Google Analytics 4. Peter Bolden says we must do it and also said it's a pain. Yes, your site was removed was moved to g4 analytics months ago so you're good to go <laughs> just so you know i do not i may feign lack of caring but i listen to every i hang on every word you say peter bolden every well, fucking word well good because i'm and with that, that you keep succeeding succeeding buddy and with that follow trey and his new twitter handle broke back 2626 <laughs> broke <laughs> What is twenty six twenty six? I don't know. I just made that shit up. Made that guy's got to go. Available. He got the handle for you. Yeah, <laughs> Craig's got the original. I get it. Craig's got twenty five. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll see you later. Enjoy yeah. the bells. Ah, enjoyed it.